Hello and welcome to episode 117 of Camera Conversations with your host Colin Campbell and today's conversation we're back with a slightly different episode. You will remember back in episode 100 I was joined by Chris Burns the owner of Savage Scholar Consulting and David Hatt the founder of MTN to talk about all things self-development and the different quotes around it. Today we talked about overrated or underrated. This time we took a range of different concepts, habits, foods and more to debate whether they are over or underrated. There's some controversial opinions in this one, lots of laughs but plenty of valuable insight into the the genuine return on investment when it comes to a number of different things including snacking, getting a mentor, fitness trackers and watches, credit cards and much more. This is part one of two because we sat down in the green room studio in Glasgow at Charing Cross for just under two hours together. So I split this one into two episodes. So this one will be coming into your ears on Wednesday and the next part of it, part two, will be coming on Sunday morning. So make sure you are subscribed or following on whatever app you're listening on to make sure you don't miss that on Sunday the 27th. This is a really fun one to record and I'm sure you'll enjoy it as the guys are fantastic value as well as really good fun to listen to as well. You will probably know that David Hatt is the founder of MTN Coaching and MTN have been a tremendous support for the podcast over the last coming up for two years. It's not too late if you need to sign up to the 12-week peak, which is MTN's leading fat loss summer preparation program that you can join and be part of a community who are dieting for 12 weeks in the build-up to a photo shoot in Glasgow. The training is all delivered online and you become part of a community, a WhatsApp group. You get your support via email and video from David and the coaches. And if you are based abroad, it's not a problem at all. But equally, if you are based in Glasgow or nearby, you can get in the shape of your life and capture it all in accumulation at a photo shoot as well as an after event party. I'm actually signed up for this year. I uh, got a bit of FOMO. I got that fear of missing out last year. So I'm involved this year, having just finished up the MTN growth project, which was a fantastic experience as well. So if you are listening to this in time and before the end of March, hit the link in the bio, which is MTN Coaching, and you can get signed up for the 12-week peak. If you're looking for more specific um, one-to-one coaching, you've the option to do that as well on the website. But without any further ado from me, let's get into this one right now, episode 117. Welcome back to Canberra Conversations. In today's conversation, I'm joined again by David Hatt, the founder of MTN Coaching. David. I'm back. He's back. <laughs> fifth or sixth time now. Popular guest. Yeah, yes. ex- exactly that. And Chris Burns, the Savage Scholar. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Cheers, Colin. Glad to be here. So last time out, we discussed a number of different self-development quotes. We'll probably revisit that at some point again in the future. Feedback in the episode was amazing. But this time, I've decided that we're going to take... Uh, a group of concepts, things, items, habits, foodstuffs, and we're going to discuss whether we believe they are over or underrated. Now, over underrated is obviously subjective, and that means there's going to be some disagreement at the table. There's going to be some agreement. You might be shouting down your AirPods or shouting at your laptop screen, wherever you're watching and listening to this in disagreement, but that's the beauty of the podcast. We can have a long-form conversation with a bit of a disagreement. We can have a bit of an agreement, and hopefully you come away with some entertainment at least, but some value as well, no doubt. And with that in mind, we're going to start off with 
number one, and that's snacking. So <sighs> snacking, I would categorize if we define our terms as in between meals, you're, you're eating other foods, for example. For me, if I was to give my opinion and kind of color the conversation before we even start, I think snacking is one of the biggest problems you face when it comes to adherence to a diet, getting results from a diet, but also your gut health and structure to your day as well. Now, I'll come back to why I feel that way, but I'd be interested in, in you two, particularly David as a, as, a, as, a, as a resident fitness expert. Snacking for me, like I totally agree with what you're coming from, um, from a, I suppose a fat loss standpoint or a health standpoint. But I mean, it does depend on your goals. If you're someone that maybe actually struggles to reach your calories, snacking could be incredibly useful. For me, I don't really have a strong overrated or underrated opinion on this one. I do on some of these uh, other points I'm looking at here. Um, but I think it can be something that's useful for some people. But for the vast majority, I think it's uh, not useless, but it can be harmful. And it's certainly what slows down people's fat loss efforts from what I've seen from a, from a fitness standpoint. Within your own day, David, for maximal productivity, are you snacking or are you having meals? Um, for me right now, like I work best if I had, actually maybe we should have put that on the, on the list, intermittent fasting. So I typically fast between kind of seven at night until probably 10 in the morning. So for me, my eating window is kind of 10 a.m. to about seven. Um, within that, there's probably three full meals and one snack slash maybe a lower calorie meal. So I don't typically snack a lot right now, but I will say like, my calories are actually building up to quite a high point right now there will be a point where i maybe start to introduce more of that and it's simply just for me to get calories in yeah uh, and again i'd say for athletes i've worked with a lot of athletes snacking for them is incredibly important to actually just get the calories in um especially if it's an, an endurance athlete someone that does a lot of activity or just someone that struggles to gain weight it's an easy way to just get calories in yeah um if you eat regularly um really for them it maybe doesn't matter as much what that food source is yeah chris yeah, well, I suppose I should be honest, like, I, I snack like I've just been dumped, like, every single day, man. Um, yeah, I'm pretty bad for snacking. Graze, is that yeah, yeah, I am. A, I, well, the thing is, you know, we like when you say, oh, I graze, that would typically mean I don't have big meals. I have big meals and I graze all day, right? I'm going to be honest. But, uh, but yeah, I would. Be, I think it is, uh, I would agree with what you just said, yeah. Andrew. I think it isn't... Um, it's not, it's not a good habit to get into, is it? You know, whether it's even even if you don't necessarily have a goal, I think like sometimes if snacking is like a sense of like comfort or distraction, it's just not a good thing to be um, forming a habit around. I don't think you know. Yeah. Um, Touch some productivity there as well. I think yeah. from a mental standpoint, for me, I actually struggle to like concentrate right after I've eaten, I mean, and it's different for everyone. That like you you can probably eat and eat and work type thing. I mm. struggle to do that, and you also need to look at from a productivity standpoint moving away from what you're doing to then snack it's like a you know a pattern interrupt i suppose yeah. um, so it can make things harder certainly for me but again yeah opinion. use the term pattern interrupt a lot of snacking emotionally comes from seeking distraction mm -hmm. and i was lucky to speak to Nirial on the podcast and he was saying about a lot of what we do to distract ourselves from work comes from some sort of internal pain and that can be done through checking social media it can be done through pointlessly refreshing your email inbox even you even when you know the high value task you need to do is write a great piece of copy it is complete a new program or, or reply mm -hmm. to a particular challenging um, message for me or something like that doing some sort of like snacking or taking food on board can be a habit like you say that we build up which we deem to be like important because well of course we need to eat but we're actually using it to get away from what we need yeah. to be doing yeah um, I, th I think it's that thing where when it comes down to distracting yourself or procrastinating basically it's 
it's easy to justify because like I can't start this work so I feel a bit hungry so I need to go and eat something and then I'll, then I'll start and then you go and eat something and then as you're eating you scroll on your phone mm-hmm. and then you scroll on your phone and then before you know it half an hour four or five minutes has went by mm-hmm. and you know it's all started from like wanting a cereal bar or yeah. like you know going going into the kitchen and opening up the cupboards and just having a browse and seeing what's there um so yeah not definitely not a good thing from that standpoint either yeah one of the more science-based reasons that i'm not pro snacking is and in the mad world of podcasting this pot this conversation will probably come out before this other conversation comes out <laughs> but um i spoke to a lady called cynthia thurlow who's a big advocate of intermittent fasting and she was talking about the repairing cycles that the gut and the brain go through after we eat and by saturating your body constantly with food more than every three four hours up to maybe six or seven she advocates for <clears throat> even in between meals after you've broken your fast mm-hmm basically your, your your gut never is recovering and it's never cleaning itself out so to speak in yeah. the brain now there's a lot of pseudoscience in that space with yeah. insulin and stuff like that as well mm. however i can see there is benefits because if you look at when you're most productive david in your morning block i'm very similar until i eat and maybe have a bit of a lull and then i kick in again and you're then like, i eat again and have a bit of a dip i think like you said like from an insulin spike standpoint it does make you more tired especially if it's a high carb food that does that's naturally going to make you more tired like and for anyone that struggles with sleep that would be something i'd say to do actually consume a lot of carbs right before bed um because it can release certain hormones that make you more tired that make you sleepier so if you're doing that throughout the day consistently and you're consistently because i mean people don't snack on healthy things people snack on high fat high carb foods no one snacks on protein no one grabs cold meat no one grabs a protein shake no one grabs things like that so let's be honest, snacking is on things like crisps, it's on things like cereal bars. So these things are high in both carbs and fats, which typically will, for most people, make them a little bit um, more, I suppose, lethargic, make them a little bit more tired as well. I think <clears throat> throughout this initial conversation in terms of our first underrated, overrated debate, I think it's overrated if you're using it in the incorrect way. It's yeah. underrated if you're using it for the right tools. But an awful lot of people that think about their diet and their performance, they probably would err towards not having as much snacking within their day yeah. if they're looking for peak performance in both but equally david like some of the numbers that you're maybe going to claim your calories towards it, and the athletes that you've worked with they probably want to be snacking yeah. more often and yeah. equally chris if you're feeling a unit you know, like yourself you're gonna need to get the food in yeah yeah no i do because i mean my my hard training days i do two sessions a day on, on tuesdays and thursdays uh, i do weights in the morning it's either rugby training or conditioning at night um, and then if I forgot, there'll be if a season's still going, there'll be a game on a Saturday. So Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays, I'll snack more on yeah. those days out of necessity more than anything else. Like kind of, I was kind of half joking earlier on, but Mondays and like other days, I, d- I don't really feel the need to. But like on those days, like you said, I just feel like I, I need to get fuel in somehow. Especially if, if in, in those days I've got a busy day at work, and then you've got you've gone three four hours, and you're like, I've got a session to do in an hour, and I need, I need to get something in here, but I don't want to have a big stodgy meal. I need to just get something quick. So yeah, so yeah. Yeah, I think everything you do, Chris, is quite intentional at that point as well. Mm, so yeah, that, yeah, that very much so. Too. Yeah, yeah. Right, on to number two, reading fiction. Overrated, underrated, it's something that you guys do? Underrated, massively underrated. People need to do more of it. I mean, I don't. I would say overrated because I simply don't do it mm-hmm. or I don't know enough about the mm-hmm. benefits of it to use it. Yeah. I would say. I spoke to Ed Cunningham on the podcast back in mid 2021 uh, he has a podcast called the need to read so he tends to be a bit of a, an expert in this space 
and he and I think I'm maybe taking the wind at some of uh, Chris's sales here but we'll soon find out <laughs> he says from a creativity standpoint oh, reading fiction is a game changer especially for the kind of people that listen to podcasts like this the kind of people that maybe like our sort of content mm-hmm. where we're very self-development focused and trying to be our best selves we sometimes forget that yes we've read Atomic Habits we've read Essentialism or whatever else yeah. but have we read a book that's maybe sparked a bit more creativity in our heads rather than just improving on our routines and our habits and our our, our behaviors mm. I, think, I think for me personally i don't love to read i love what i get from reading but i don't mm. enjoy the actual act of reading so for me if i'm going to be reading it's going to be something that i see directly improving some aspect of my life as mm-hmm. much as i think this probably would because what you're about to tell me i'm, I'm gonna say from <laughs> a cre- like you said as well from a creativity standpoint maybe i could be doing with more of that but if I only had half an hour a day to read, which is kind of what I try and aim for, um, I'm going to read something that I'm going to directly take something for from and use in my business or use yeah. in my personal life. Yeah. I mean, I think like from a practical standpoint, reading fiction, um, if you're looking from a self-development lens, it can help tie together the kind of non-fiction concepts that you read. Because if you think about it from the early stages of um of humans if you like like greek mythology is still popular to this day because the lessons tied up in those stories still have such relevance to like icarus flying too close to the sun burns his wings all of those kind of things even like more kind of modern day ones like the tortoise in the hair you know consistency mm-hmm. all, all of these are, are fictional stories but they're grounded in real truths um also you've just got the fact that it's useful for escapism like i, I think it's useful. i used to back when i was coaching used to recommend people read uh, some fiction before bed because it's just that because i think if you read like for me i can't read a non-fiction book before bed because my brain lights up i've got a hundred ideas going yeah, through my head yeah. whereas I, i'm right now I'm, I'm a huge stephen king fan so i'm reading stephen king's the stand right now and it's just which is quite ironic because it's about a plague that takes over the world but we'll not go into that uh, i didn't know it was about that before i started reading it <laughs> um, so um yeah so that gives you real escapism um but and then for me, if I suppose if anybody's listening or watching that is in the kind of in my line of work, if you are in marketing and advertising and things like that, some of the best hooks and headlines and ideas for campaigns I've got from fiction and, and from, you know, uh, from stories and, and yeah. little lines and different characters. So there's a huge amount of benefits. It's not just a case of just reading a book and escaping. There's a lot of actual benefits in yep. the self-development side of things yeah. as well. Much like you, I do. My mind does start to fire before bed when I read a self-development book. Yeah. But that's typically when I find the time to read. And like David, I'm also quite strict on what I, how like how much time I assign to a particular habit mm. just by nature of how busy my day is. Yeah, yeah, time management. Yeah. And I definitely think that I have a massive bias towards reading non-fiction almost at all times. However, I do quite clearly see that it is probably underrated the the benefits you could get from reading fiction if it fits within your day i think if i was to uh, kind of rank what i should read it's probably going to be those self-development books that really move the needle yeah but i think finding time to read some fiction as part of your day or as part of your week or however you want to structure it can have some big benefits and chris you're you are a storyteller by trade effectively aren't you like you tell stories to Mm -hmm. sell products and services Mm -hmm you probably want to read good storytellers to get ideas yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, but even if you look at, so if you look at, um, for example, uh, American Presidents, the most commonly read book among American ex-American presidents is Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Now, that's probably going to fire some people up. It's quite a controversial book, uh, but it's, it's a fictional book. So and Ayn Rand's quite a controversial um, author, and all right, but those stories had, and look at things like George Orwell, 1984, 
you know, Animal Farm. A lot of things by George. There was a lot of social commentary in those stories. So as much as, yeah, it is a story. Um, and there are ones that are, there's plenty of fiction books out there that have got absolutely zero social commentary and are just mm. great for escapism. But there's other ones, even something like Lord of the Rings, like Lord of the Rings is is, is inspired by World War One and Tolkien's time on the front line in, in Belgium and France. So, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a lot, I've just seen there's a lot of parallels there and I think like people could probably get a lot more from fiction than, than at first sight. And even if you look into the actual process of writing great fiction, like Stephen King's book on writing, that's what it's, it's called on writing. I should mm-hmm. clarify that. Um, is about like I can add a little bit about his early life and then how he constructs his stories and how he writes. And it's fascinating to see somebody who's like the most prolific, probably one of the most prolific fiction writers of all yeah. time. His work has been adapted onto the screen more than anybody else. And when you see how his process, I just think when you see somebody at the top of their field in any field and you you get an insight into their process, it's incredible. And storytellers, they're literally starting from an idea. I think that's a really valuable thing to see. Duh. Totally. What, what would you say for someone like me and Colin that's maybe not into that right now, but maybe wants to bridge the gap between non-fiction, personal development and a book? Oh, mm. We love know, steering it to a practical... Do you know, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. Can, uh-huh. uh-huh. Then go, oh, okay, I think that's relevant. Like that's, uh-huh. I suppose for me, if I was to look for a book like that, that's where I'd look to maybe start yeah. so I can get into it. What would, is so, it off the top of your head? Well, of course, absolutely. <laughs> so I would, I would pick up anything by Dave Trott, right, okay. um, mainly predatory thinking, one plus one equals three and creative blindness. Um, now he is um, very well known in the kind of the old school London ad agency world. Um, he was, a, um, yeah, he was a kind of creative director at a lot of top agencies uh, doing like huge kind of Madison Avenue style campaigns, you know. Um, so he his books are a collection of short stories that relate back to a life lesson or principle. Some of it's sales and marketing, some of it's just general life. Um, so I would start out with him for sure because right. um, he shows you how to take those stories. Uh, and, and then obviously they always end the lesson. It's really easy to flick. They're actually really addictive. You'll probably find you yeah. go through it in a week because they're so addictive. Yeah. And, then, and then outside of that, I would pick up Stephen King's on writing. It's a because fin- okay. it goes all the way from his air life, how he creates his fiction, and then also covers his, for people who don't know, he had a really terrible, he almost died. He was almost killed in a, in a road accident. A van wiped him out. So, um, yeah, I would I recommend those. So that Stephen King one in particular is like a bridge between fiction yeah. and fiction, isn't it? Yeah, 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 very much so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Perfect. Number three, being relatable online. <laughs> Do you want me to kick off with this? I go. Um... I would say it's underrated. I don't think enough people do it well, to be honest. Um, mm. I think everyone's trying to, especially in, if you look at the business space or you look at the personal development space, or to be honest, even the fitness space. I think a lot of fitness people, again, that's my world, tend to try and set themselves much higher than others, which is often... Can I interrupt just very yeah. quickly? I've worked with a lot of people in the online fitness space. I'm not just saying this because he's my friend and client. Like You are one of the best at this I've ever seen. Like, like genu- absolutely 100% smash yeah. out of the park. Like, okay. 100%. Please carry on. I think a lot of that is just from being like genuinely just honest. Like I don't, mm-hmm. and it's not like I'm, I'm not going to be one of these people that says I don't care what people think because I massively care what people think. Mm-hmm. Certain people. Um, I think I think it's underrated. I don't think enough people do it well. Um, and I think it's just because a lot of people just aren't authentic. Um, and, and, you know, they, they don't actually have much that they can relate to their audience. And I've not got a huge following, but based on the following that I've got, I think popularity based on that small following. People is are so high. connected with you. Um, I can tell you that from when you come on the podcast, the listens for your followership versus people with bigger followings, the yeah. conversion is much higher because people are like, I really like listening to David. I'll go and listen to him for an hour. I watch his stories every day. Why not listen to a podcast with him? Yeah. And that's 
a testament to your relatability in the in the fact that they they know the real you quite mm-hmm. quite well like you don't hide an awful lot yeah um, obviously there's some things that need to stay behind closed doors but it's important to have like a, a relatively open relationship with your following yeah mm-hmm. i think i think i've always done it as well i think it's not been there's not someone's not said to me you need to be more relatable when it's happened um i think i've just generally been i don't i put most of my life out there which sometimes isn't a good thing but um i think as a coach and somebody who people deem to be a successful coach i'm the first to admit when i'm having an off week and i'm the first to admit when i'm actually feeling like shit or i'm the first to admit when i've drank too much at the weekend and i feel like absolute death um and i think that in the fitness space isn't seen enough and if you look at all these geordie shore and all these like fitness models that are in incredible shape who are doing other things rather than just training and nutrition. Um, but they're not relatable in the slightest and they don't showcase that side of things. And I mean, you look at a lot of the people in the fitness space that are relatable, that are in incredible shape, that from a physique standpoint, for example, admit to actually taking anabolic steroids or admit that other side of their life. <clears throat> it makes them relatable in the sense, or not even relatable, it makes them just honest and authentic. Well, yeah, straight away, I think of TM Cycles. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of there. He's so open about what he's doing and he has a very engaged audience because of that. Whereas there's maybe fitness models who maybe look a bit better than him, but use every bit as much in terms of peds. But they do, but they do those pictures where they kid on, they've got fat rolls and then they stand up and flex and that makes them relatable, doesn't it? One thing I was going to touch on was I actually think people, the worst type of people on social media are people that have been told to be relatable. Manufacturers. photos of them crying or they like, they, they, they over. Who gets a phone out when they're crying? I I never understand that. that. I'm not going to say too much because I actually have people, I know people that have done that, but I, I physically don't understand. If yeah. I'm feeling that way, I'm definitely not going to document it. Unless I suppose they are thinking it of the light of, do you know what? I feel like this right now. Maybe my audience is going to feel like this at some point. I need to help. Yeah, I can kind of see it from that from that side. But then it's you not look, at, me. look um, at the rest of their feed though and what, what they do is manufactured yeah. in terms of I'm trying to create a connection with my audience, whereas you're just showing up in your story and talking and showing mm-hmm. what you're up to. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Chris called it there like, the fat rolls, the cellulite, whatever somebody's come up with today to be like, oh, look at me, I'm just like you. The thing yeah, is, you're not just rips. like you. Like, yeah, you are, yeah. you, your physique is in the top, like, 1%. Yeah. Like, you are so handsome, you've never needed the filter in your life. Thanks. Like, why? Cheers, mate. Exactly. You, both of you <laughs> fall into that category. Um, you see, see that's it's, it's, it's show, don't tell. Don't tell somebody you're relatable. Mm-hmm. If, you yeah, have to, yeah. if you have to say, I'm just like you, I know what you're going through, then you're full of shit because yeah. you would just naturally put that across on your social. So people can naturally look at your stories when you're sharing whatever, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. And, and you, you don't go at the end of those stories. So I'm just like you guys, you know, it's like, it, it's just so unauthentic and people can sniff it a mile away. Oh, We've almost got, I'm not saying everybody does because there's plenty of mugs out there, but most people have a kind of radar for that and they can tell when somebody is doing this purely for like engagement, yeah. on the social media context, purely and enga- for engagement purposes. People know that. Um, I'm the first to admit when I'm dieting and when I'm getting lean, how easy I find it. Like, I'm not trying to say I'm relatable to you because I'm actually not. Like, I have the easiest setup ever for getting lean. I control my full diary. I've got decent enough genetics. I've been training for 15 to 20 years. Like, it's easy for me. And I think, I suppose that's maybe not relatable, but actually, I think people try to be relatable. And they that's over. transparency. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I, I'm um, the exact same. Mm-hmm. I say, like, see if you told me I had to eat chicken and rice for four meals a day, I would probably do it because my like my mental state is is, is like that my discipline <laughs> my discipline's quite good when it yeah. comes to that kind of stuff so that means i'm not relatable but i don't try and tell people that my approach to dieting is the number one way to do it yeah and none of your programs 
like rep- replicate the exact way that you would diet down oh, because your personality is different. Not. A lot of the people you coach work in a nine five job. Yeah. So have kids. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so they certainly don't live the same way you you. So I think being relatable online is definitely underrated in some ways. But to throw a little bit a tiny spanner in the works, I think you need to be that little bit ahead of your audience in order to support them with where they want to go to. Yeah. So if you're looking That's at fair. a roadmap, yeah. I like that. I like that. If you were on the exact same level and you were completely relatable. I probably wouldn't take advice from you. Yeah. Whereas if somebody aye, is aye. a little bit further ahead, I would probably be like, right, okay, well, I can relate to them because five years ago they were in a similar position to me or they were doing similar stuff to me. But wow, like I'm not quite where they are yet, but I'd like to get there. So I'm going to listen to their advice. Love that. Love that. Mostly nah, because something I teach all the time is I struggle to take advice off someone that's not further ahead than me in a certain field. Um, so finance, for example, like my dad's probably not going to list this, but when my dad gives me advice in finance, I don't really take it because, not because he's not done well financially, because he has, but there, there's been certain things that he's done or he's not he's not been in the same space as me anyway. Um, but yeah, certain people, and it's like overweight people giving you advice on fitness. It doesn't actually make sense in my mind. Like, um, so yeah, I think I, th- I totally agree. You need to be further ahead in that in that um, relatable, yeah. but some sort of example to people yeah. as well. So, yeah, I find that and like whenever I've shared, shared something on, on my socials about like my kind of career path the past two years, see the most replies I've got is from people who are where I was two years ago. And I'm just, I was just like shooting from the hip, just talking about a particular event that happened or a struggle or a, or, or a, or a win that I achieved and people reach out, like just what you're saying there, because I'm probably like a little bit further ahead than them, but not so far ahead that it's unattainable. Yeah. You know, it's just those one, two steps ahead and they're, they're probably sitting there going, Oh, well, I'm just trying to get my first cooperating client. Yeah. And you were there two years ago. And I've just heard you share something about getting your first client or being let down by a client or being ghosted for an invoice, whatever story I've told. And they straight away they go, they, they immediately feel better because they just feel like, because you always feel like you're one of one, don't you? And then yeah. you realize when people share those things, you're not. There needs to be a closeness between that yeah. that gap. It can't be too big. Nah, um, nah you're absolutely right. I think of yeah. an example in the copyright world. Yeah, well, like, I mean, there's Dan Kennedy to, to an extent. There's, oh, there's, thank my, you know, nothing to relate um, to with that guy. Absolutely not. But you could, you, I mean, you could still obviously learn a lot uh, from him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, yeah I think there needs to be that gap and not too big there needs to be to, to really um get the most from someone i think a happy, a happy medium yeah. between where they are and where they've been and where you want to get to and you only need to be speaking to that percentage of the people online you don't mm-hmm. need to speak to somebody who's right at the very beginning who's never yeah. like never <clears throat> even considered trying to get to where you are and you don't need to be speaking to the people that are further down the line yeah. than you because they're not going to listen to you and tell yeah. you what you've got to say yeah number four willpower overrated i would say first of all does jink it exists hmm I don't know. Um, I mean, well, I do. I I think it I does. So, yeah. I think it does. I think it, it's 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 obviously people have varying amounts, but I think it is a finite resource, and every single person, and eventually chickens come home to roost if you just purely rely on this to try to achieve would something. You define it. Would you define it as similar to motivation? Yeah, if I was. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's probably slightly different to motivation in that I think it's um you can you can apply it in settings where you're not motivated. Mm-hmm. So. I think it, go, it goes beyond that initial buzz of like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I think willpower is kind of there and it sits somewhere alongside discipline, but probably not quite in the same bracket mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you're you're kind of tapping into stores of it. Although there is some controversial thought process on that, that it's not like a finite resource that is in fact just everyone's got the same amount and we don't tap into it at different times. It's right. very much habit-based. Neary, I was quite interested in the That's podcast. Great. He kind of kind of um, red-pilled me on it a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, I think for me, willpower is 
underrated in some senses but overrated in others and that's such a difficult answer to give isn't it but if you think about willpower i think a lot of people never test it but then some people rely on it all the time and they're yeah. like constantly like oh my willpower just wasn't strong enough and you're like, well, probably your habits and your systems and your routine weren't strong enough your willpower is probably fine and the days when you need it you might get it but you're just constantly testing it so of course it just doesn't exist yeah, yeah. i like the people that kind of randomly decide to start like a, a fat loss diet on a monday and then it's like they've got nothing set up they've got no meals prepped they've got nothing good to go and then it's like it's a basically a willpower diet isn't it and you're just counting down the days until your willpower says nope and then you just go tonto on a mad binge yeah i think you could put a lot of things into that box of a similar discipline integrity willpower motivation and again it depends what word you use and how you use it but I would actually say it's, un I'd say it's underrated in the sense that not not enough people have willpower. Yeah. But then you need to look at why they don't have enough willpower. Is it because they don't have the right system, structure, and routines in place to actually achieve that willpower? Like yeah. I, I would be deemed to have high willpower in dieting. So would you, because we've done it numerous times, but we've got the habits and systems in place to do that. But for something else, willpower. Like for me, not to have a glass of wine most nights, I don't have the willpower to do that. It's kind of because I don't want to as well. Uh, yeah. so it's hard to try and box these things I think yeah, into... see, that's so interesting because people always think like when people find out uh, I don't drink alcohol and I, and I never have people always say oh I wish I had like your willpower and I'm like there is that's the first zero, term, isn't it? zero willpower involved in this because uh, yeah. I have there has to be a desire like you say for the, for willpower to, to, to take place like, yeah. like for me willpower is having a bowl of ice cream instead of the whole tub because mm -hmm. I've got a massive sweet tooth like that's that, that I need willpower to not willpower but that's that there's a desire there for me just to you know, stick my face in the tub of Hagendaz. Not Ben and Jerry's, by the way. Ben and Jerry's for we guys. Hagendaz is so top Ben and Jerry's ice. is overrated. Yes, it is okay. overrated because Hagendaz is a superior ice cream. Hagendaz salted caramel and Hagendaz strawberry cheesecake is a superior. That's where adults. That's where adults go in the freezer aisle. Yeah, right? London Dairy. That's ice where. Cream. What's that? London Dairy. Sounds no, like it's for lunches. Sounds like London Dairy. <laughs> London Dairy. London, that sounds Flash. suspicious like something else which we won't I'd go into in this podcast because that might get that <laughs> might get hairy very quickly. We're going to have a Northern Ireland political yeah. discussion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. London Dairy. Uh, where's the dairy farms in London? That's, you know. I don't know, mate. It's good ice cream, but... Nah. Hagen-Dazs. I'd say it's a mix between Ben and Jerry's and Hagen-Dazs. I do love Hagen-Dazs. If I was to pick one ice cream, it would be Hagen-Dazs. Dolce de leche. Oh, Unbelievable. Controversial. Unbelievable. I would have Hagen that salted caramel. Nah, I've actually. There's not honestly see that moment where you so where you, you, put, you put the spoon in and you just like tap into like a yeah, well a well <laughs> a well of salted caramel just comes pouring onto your spoon. That's like one of the greatest moments. You should experience. be the new Marks and Spencers advert guy. I should I could you do anything. I know I could be pop, actually. Of course, this isn't just ice cream. This is Hagen does ice cream. <laughs> do you like NSDR shit with it? I could do that. I'm going to pitch them. I'm going to pitch Hagen does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine my big Mongo no, boy. This isn't just ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> no sales. No sales. Pulled off the shelves. <laughs> right. So willpower then. Yeah. Um, in many ways, it falls in in behind all the different other factors which are so yeah. important. However, it's underrated because a lot of people don't ever give it a chance to be exercised mm -hmm. yeah no i think that's, I think that's bang on right i think when they, as soon as they meet resistance they fall away so whether it's a hard rep in the gym whether they can't quite get into their work um like there's another bit like stephen pressfield's war of art it talks about overcoming resistance so like what we're talking about earlier being distracted by snacking it's like that's resistance there you need to overcome that yeah. and then maybe give in so i think yeah i think that i think that's bang on right number five our, our first food stuff although we've definitely talked about ice cream now <laughs> 
Number five is oats. Overrated. Overrated. That's so bad, mate. I know you love them. Oh, you on. two cannot come at me on my own podcast. <laughs> this is outrageous. I, I just don't understand what is good about oats. They, they are literally sawdust in a bag. Like, that's how I'd describe oats. Ah, the only way to make oats taste good is to add hundreds of shit on top of them. Put a Mars bar on it yeah. and put it in the microwave and sprinkle some fucking sprinkles on it. Yeah. <laughs> no, so sprinkle I know, some sprinkles. I know my taste buds are quite plain, so obviously yeah. I'm going to caveat that with, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be like, well, he's coming from that standpoint and I accept that. Like I was saying about the dieting part, like I could yeah. handle, if you told me it was oats and egg whites, mm. I wouldn't be chuffed about it, but I would, I would do yeah, it. Do yeah. I love oats, but also I have chocolate whey or salted caramel whey mm. or cinnamon danish whey in them every single time right i like the macronutrient profile on them so that yeah. makes me biased Aye. i love I, f- I like the way that i digest them and i feel good and strong and full of carbs before the gym mm-hmm. so that's all factors that lead into it whereas david from a taste profile you're just saying it's not for me and nah. maybe the texture as well if you use in terms like sawdust yeah. also see oats is a breakfast food on the most part and for me breakfast is something cooked it's bacon it's eggs sausage yeah pretty yeah. much every day cheese I think practically everything you said, like practically oats make sense, but taste wise and everything else, like I'm very much like I need my food to like, I can't really eat for function. Like even when I'm 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 very much a flavor, like food is is a pleasure for me. So like, yeah, oats just don't do it. I'm going to have to make a stronger case because people are going to be really upset by this. I think there's a a lot of people, but with regards to oats, how do you guys make your oats are you just doing it wrong is that the problem I, I walk by them I walk by them yeah. in the supermarket and pick up a box of cornflakes that's what I do that's how I make my oats I make <laughs> cornflakes instead cornflakes see the cornflakes um, bites see the new ones the new ones that are kind of like crave crunchy nut no what crunchy nut Aye, but aye, but listen, like, listen, I'm telling you, right? You go, you walk by, you know, like the, you know, you know, you get the cereal crave. Yeah. It's got the hazelnut filling. Well, crun- Kellogg's do a crunchy nut one, and it's like a peanut butter and cornflake paste in the middle of them, and they are. Oh, it's like crack cocaine. Right. So sorry. Anyway, yeah, I don't. I've never really. Were made you raised with like like cereals like that as children? Um, I think, like form, I think it's a form of child abuse. Like my parents were like very like <laughs> eat, 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 eat excellent, clean, good food sources, Colin, and that's why I'm the the office nah, athlete now. I grew up in pop tarts, like genuinely, and I'm actually for breakfast. Yeah, the pop tarts for breakfast, which is I grew up cornflakes. To be fair, crunching up cornflakes. Pop pop tarts are a breakfast food. I would, I would yeah. always have pop-tart, pop-tarts and a bowl of cereal, which is what, it's probably like 80 grams of carbs, like every morning. Why I probably, you know, people thought I'd eat it. That's probably why you're a pain in the arse. <laughs> <laughs> <Still> <laughs> <eat> like that. <laughs> uh, actually, like, I grew up in good food because mom and dad were both good, like, chefs, yeah. so I had good meals, but breakfast was just like, have what you want. Before I, school, you were just smashing yeah, something, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, my mum's a phenomenal cook. But I, th- I think, but, I think we've been programmed society, like, to have cereal for breakfast oh mate oh so true so i ate a salad last like last week salad with chicken sausages right kind of weird but i had it for breakfast well that's the thing it is weird but it's, it shouldn't be it's not and uh somebody in the gym a pt actually uh came up and she was like oh that's weird salad for breakfast and she literally poured herself a bowl of cereal which again like nothing wrong with cereal i eat cereal sometimes but it's just a bowl of technically sugar carbs and that's not deemed as weird, but it's technically a lot worse for you than me sitting munching down some lettuce yeah. and chicken sausage. That's interesting because people's like, perception. Uh, Jill, uh, my fiance, she always thinks this is weird about me. I do not attach like a time Same. to food. I will eat any food Curry at any time of the day. Yeah. I would eat anything for breakfast, anything for lunch, anything for dinner, Same. as long as it's tasty. Like I'll have steak for breakfast. Yeah. Is that always the case, or do you think your fitness yeah. mm-hmm. mindset changed oh, that? That's okay. sorry, that's probably true because I think like when I worked in hospitality for years, like the times the windows you got to eat were so small so i had to be like right i can't have 
um, a bowl of cereal for breakfast because I'm going to miss my protein intake. So I need to have, so I used to have like, you know, two chicken wraps for my breakfast, yeah. then go work a 13 hour shift and then have another chicken wrap and a finish or something like that, you know. So that totally disassociated me from any like, mm. this is a breakfast food, That's this is a lunch food. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, fitness does switch that for you because you, you've yeah, got a protein point. target yeah, to work yeah. towards. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think breakfast, you think eggs and bacon, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so still I'm still the same. I'm the same. But I mean, like, I will eat anything i'll eat leftover chinese for breakfast yeah. like not, I, 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 not advocating you do that but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah oats i've taken a battering on that so uh, i'm afraid so mate you've been outvoted you've so. voted on the oats yeah it's unfortunate. that's the first really strong like <laughs> i know <laughs> two opinions against one what we got next? Oats. Num- number five is getting a mentor and you guys have excellent experience in terms of uh, business and i'll maybe speak a little bit from like within a corporate career because i mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't quite get that right in that space anyway but yeah um i'd love to hear about your own experiences um, I think there's a getting a mentor could be two things. It could be paying a mentor, and it could be actually finding mentorship through someone. Um, like you guys, in my opinion, have mentored me through various aspects of things. You've not charged me for them, so thanks. Um, but I've also paid a significant <laughs> amount. I've also paid a significant amount of money, yeah. like in the past few years. And there's been value from both of those things. Um, different amounts of value, different types of value. Uh, it, it's getting a mentor is very underrated if you can find yourself a great mentor it's very overrated if you you know don't find a great mentor i've had both I've, I've had experience with people that i've worked with paid a lot of money and had a lot of success with um and from the opposite end of that some of the most valuable things that i've learned from people has been for free and i've actually just met a guy quite recently <laughs> met a guy. um not a, so not happy for you david <laughs> thanks <laughs> my fiance Big announcement. um who is like so far ahead of me in the business world he's taught me so much i've met the guy three times he's taught me an insane amount and i was like literally i was like can i train you for free i just want to like learn from you pick your brain he's like don't be daft like i'll pay you for you know training coaching i'm happy to help you and he he doesn't want to charge me and the advice that he's given me in the last three maybe four hours time with him has been more valuable than i've spent on other mentors that i've spent you know let's say 20 hours with so I, i think it's Again, some of these are very hard to determine if it's underrated or overrated. It completely depends on circumstances. A lot of people never look for a mentor, though, yeah. at all, do they? Or they look for one just online. And I certainly, I think there's a lot of benefits to finding an online mentor. And mm-hmm. we're speaking about relatable piece, but finding somebody who's relatable, but a lot further ahead of you, that's great from a mentorship perspective. But you guys have gone out and paid thousands of pounds yeah. for mentors. So I'm very interested in what that experience has been like. And David, you've shared there about how that's worked for you, Chris. Yeah, well, I... I um, yeah, so I did have a, a mentor, and I'll, I'll get to that experience in a second, but um, I had the wrong, I, I used to have the attitude where like when I was trying to kind of get my business off the ground, I would see people investing in like say courses or mentorships, and I would think that's what I need, that's the that's yeah. the silver bullet that I need to get my things going, so that was a complete wrong attitude to have, so if you're thinking that then you need to dismiss that attitude right away because it's only going to lead to you signing up to these things and realising, oh I actually need to do some work you know, yeah, to get yeah. this thing going. Um, but the one common thing that I always noticed in people that I used to look up to was having mentors. Like, you know, you always see that, like yeah. people post about like this mentorship done this for me, this mastermind done this for me. So I always used to want think like, well, when I'm at the level where I can afford these things, I'm going to invest it and it's going to take off. Mm-hmm. And I got to that level in like 2000 and, uh, 2020, I think it yeah. was, uh, just about maybe like six months after I went full time into the business I'm running now. And I seen this opportunity come up and uh, it was with somebody who, you know had a lot of success and invested in the mentorship and it was like it was a complete crock of shit um from start to finish it was it was a course that was dressed up as a mentorship and um it was a a course that you had to go through and then uh, i had a call with a call with the, the mentor 
um, and he forgot my name <laughs> and basically told me all you need to do <laughs> all you need to do is find 12, 12 people who knows why 12 12 must be a magic number you find 12 people who want to do what you do and teach them how to do what you do so he's basically it was basically like a bait and switch because I was talking about building a cooperating business and scaling it and bringing on more clients and doing this and doing that and he just basically tried to put a square peg in the round hole. Yeah. He and was then, like, I can teach you to be a mentor in copywriting. Yeah. And you're and like, who oh, am I, I want to build a copywriting business. I was like, yeah. I mean, I'm six months into this. Who am I going to mentor? And yeah. it was a complete, and also very quickly, it was, I was putting a Slack group with all these hippy, dippy dweebs, right? From like, they were all from like the West Coast of America. And it was all like, right, guys, uh, meditation is live tonight. And like, oh, is, who else is doing the, the five day? gut microbiome reset this week and i was like get me out of here man i went on one call nobody understood me i asked one question he was like sorry can you repeat that i'm having some trouble with your accent and i was like i'm out of here man see you, see you later what you mentioned I, I found it be quite common with mentors because i've had i think three um they, they don't seem to want a lot well some of the people i've worked with haven't mm. seemed to want you to scale your own business they want you to become a mentor or they want you to teach other people what you're doing and for me and i actually started to go down that route it led me down that route um for me you know someone i work with uh, said to me they were like oh you should just teach other coaches and personal trainers how to replicate what you've done i wasn't really interested in doing that and i tried it and i didn't love it um to the extent of i love building my actual coaching business so for me i think if i was to find another mentor it'd be someone that was like interested in helping me scale my actual coaching business not to become a mentor because like you mentioned there a lot of them just want you to then mentor what you already know which is fine it's a great way to make money i know plenty of people killing it in that game but it's not necessarily what i want but it's a whole it's a whole separate economy like yeah. the repackaged expertise economy is what mm -hmm. i call it because that's what it, that like people seem to think that they get to a certain level and then they've either got to create a course or launch a mastermind yeah, yeah. or become a mentor and there's nothing wrong with with any of those things but i think again it, it depends on how you're arriving at that conclusion because if you notice yeah. everything you've done in your business david or everything you've done in career that's benefited you has been from a good place and the right decision it's never been from a place of like oh i have to do this or like this a place of kind of like i'm at crossroads i, I should just do this because this is the kind of easy route it's always positioned as that's that's always something that i look out for like if a piece of advice comes like it's an easy play you'll make loads of money it's like hmm that automatically get right. it doesn't quite sit right straight yeah. away you know and that's why most of these things are cobbled together and basically don't it's the same repackaged stuff you find over and over again and if it's a mentorship i don't think people really realize what that really means you know mentorship like, should be very hands-on very hands-on getting yeah. to know somebody really kind of challenging them holding them accountable yeah coming to the table with ideas mm -hmm. and, and, and testing should it should actually be in my opinion because there's a book um uh Robert Greene's book Mastery talks yeah. about this, talks about the apprenticeship phase. And like it should be a really like intense experience. Cause speaking of Robert Greene, if you know like Ryan Holiday, somebody we all know yeah. and have already his work, he was Robert Greene's apprentice. He was his research assistant and he talks about how intense that period was. Now he didn't pay for it, obviously, but it's a similar same concept. Yeah, that yeah. mentorship should be intense, it should challenge you, and should really be pushed out your comfort zone. And I would actually go as far as say maybe sometimes you shouldn't really like your mentor yeah, if he's yeah, actually yeah. pushing the right buttons for you to grow. Yeah. So um so yeah, that's just went off. No, I, th yeah. I, th I think they're really, really good examples. And I think if I was to talk about the mentorship in yeah. the corporate space, like a lot of the time it can be your line manager or it needs to be somebody who's a little bit further up, either in the same space as you or in a in a separate division 
but does a similar role at a better level than mm-hmm. you. And not a lot of organizations get it quite right. But I, when I was in my first role, and this is probably the only time I've probably had two or three different mentors, I had an official buddy and it was a lady who was 35 years old doing my job, but just at a higher level. Yeah. And she just taught me all the tricks of the trade, mm-hmm. basically how she operated, what she said to people on the phone, mm-hmm. what she did on her emails, how she held difficult conversations, some of the key objections that she'd had over the years. And it wasn't some fancy meditation mentorship. <laughs> it was just... How does somebody who's four or five steps further down the road than me, how do they operate mm-hmm. and what do they do? And it was just an arm around the shoulder to say, this is what I do. Or like if I had a disastrous meeting, I'd be like, oh, Lindsay, can you can you talk to me about meetings that you've had like that and maybe what you would have done in my position? Yeah. Or she would come to meetings with me and I'd do the opener and then she would do the, the, mm-hmm. the agenda. Yeah. She would show me what our meeting notes might would might look like once I get up to speed. So it was almost like a... Although it was called a buddy, she was very much my mentor to bring me up to speed mm. to an acceptable level. And then equally, she wasn't fussed about going to the places that I maybe want to go to within my career because she was had a family, she was very settled and she was very happy earning what she earned in, in, in that job and doing very, very well for it. Mm-hmm. But she was kind of like, right, I've taught you quite a lot now, Cole. Like you crack on with whatever you want to get involved in. So I then need to look for another mentor, another yeah. space. So I found somebody who was like four or five years older than me, but doing much much better than me and i was like right okay so what does he do in meetings like what are, what are his what do his cold, cold calls sound like what yeah. do his proposals look like how does email sound and it was just a case of like finding different like almost role models and getting some sort of practical mentorship from them not them telling me that like how to become a, a line manager would be the, the uh, example wouldn't yeah. it uh, they were just telling me how to be really good as a business development professional and i think so many industries get it so wrong and they just assign you somebody who's direct you're directed online to but it was more me finding somebody who's doing kind of my role mm. but a bit further yeah, on. yeah would you say though in your line of work if you're trying to find a mentor there might be some resistance because whoever's ahead of you might think he's coming for my job is, yeah is it, does a little bit of that creep in i experienced that with someone i worked with though when i launched a program and it done better than his program and i experienced some like I could tell there was a bit of resentment there. Like Peanut butter and jealous. I told I told him the numbers that I'd done for a certain launch, and he was like, "What, really?" And he was like, "Question." He was like, "Can I like uh, get me to clarify?" I think you know. Was like, oh my god, who done your copy? Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I know I do. Know and after about. that, the relationship certainly did go a little bit more sour to an extent. Interesting. And I actually think that? is that purely Wild. because I, well, I actually know for a fact that I I got better numbers on a program than than he did um which is one of the reasons i actually stopped working with him as well because like i said earlier for me finding a mentor finding someone relatable i want to find someone that's that good but further ahead than me evolutionary um, you're right chris we would probably not want to bring on somebody that's a threat to us mm. because that threatens our status in the animal kingdom doesn't mm. it yeah 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 um, it might knock you off king of the jungle yeah. but for me i guess you are right within the corporate ladder you need to find somebody who's maybe willing to help so like i'll mention her by name Lindsay was fantastic for me because she wasn't threatened by me in the slightest uh-huh. i was a 21 year old graduate she she was she would wanted me to go to the top but she knew it wouldn't knock her out of place because yeah. she had no interest in getting, in getting a job in a different in a different space yeah um so i do think that's that that can be a challenge a lot of the time you need to find somebody who's like maybe settled with a family and they've they've, <laughs> they've kind of changed their mindset around yeah. their career yeah. and they kind of see you they can maybe live vicariously through you if you are on a faster track than them at a younger age 
Um, so I think that's a really, really good point. Like they're maybe less threatened by you, but I suppose if you looked at somebody who was like, if I'm talking about graduate scheme stuff, if somebody was like the end of the graduate scheme and they were mentoring you, they're probably like, Christ, that he could be competing with me in three yeah. years' time for the head of sales job or the head yeah. of whatever job. Yeah. If I bring him on too much, I'm maybe cutting yeah. on grass here. Yeah, I tell you the wrong things, like, you know, yeah. get, yeah. Your, get your knob out in meetings. I'd round that one up. Talk about dolphins. I'd round that one up by, I'd say it's overrated feeling the need to pay a mentor, and I think it's underrated finding someone to mentor you in a local space well done d-hat that was nailed it Good. yeah beautiful it. thanks well number seven is starbucks but that's not the coffee at starbucks it's going to starbucks isn't it david the experience the experience underrated the best place ever mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I would say it's i mean I, as somebody that doesn't drink coffee i would also say it's underrated i i, I worked from starbucks for a yeah. long time before i got an office and stuff like that even back when i was uh, coaching i would go to starbucks to do my coffee work on the side so yeah free wi-fi yep. free parking always good service the tables don't rattle like they're doing cost, cost yeah costco costa they costa. don't care when you smuggle in cans of white monster yeah they just don't care I would, like, they, I've taken they don't in, mind when i don't wear a mask in there that's I've, probably my favorite i've thing. taken yeah. in a, a tub of boats before and asked them for hot water as well so oh, they don't do that anymore Solid. they don't fill up your water anymore because of covid but They'll be back then that's soon. Um, so yeah, I think the actual overall and, and you know their, their tagline, what is it? A place between work and home. Is that right? Is that what I think so? That's yeah. exactly that's what you that achieve. That is literally what that, I do. Yeah. I go from there before I go to the office. My first kind of two, three hours of like deep work in the morning is almost always in there because I find it easy to concentrate. And like you said, the coffee's not that great. Like I like good coffee and I like going for like a nice Italian coffee somewhere, like a proper coffee. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I know what I spend in Starbucks actually. I just, closed it on my instagram recently i spend an insane amount on starbucks in a, in a yearly basis but for me it actually brings me more i suppose income yeah. but like productivity i get a lot more done in there than i do my house too many distractions my office far too many distractions because the people i work with are it's also a good it's, do you know what it's always a good vibe in starbucks mm -hmm. as well because i'm just gonna say it right see like costa not a fan and then tim hortons oh, well mate. The, the place so uh Tim Hortons and Cumberland Old is like the Star Wars bar when you is walk it? in there, right? It's full it's so of bad. absolute <laughs> moon units, right? And you're just trying to get some work done and you've just got all of these absolute they space can't take cadets. An order, can can't take an order. Everything always, always get your order wrong. And by the way, my order is a Diet Coke and occasionally like a bagel. And then they'll bring God. If bring God, watching this, they'll bring God knows what. Yeah. So the vibe, the vibe's essential because like you can't really get yeah. into. It's not as clean either. Starbucks is always clean. Aye. Yeah. yeah. And also the 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 drive through at Tim Hortons and Cumberland goes yeah. like round the side, so like it's right up against the window. So people just sit and stare at you when you're doing your work, and it's yeah. always somebody you end up knowing. And then you're having this weird conversation through three panes of glass yeah. with somebody that you kind of went to high school. And, oh, hi, 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 hi. Yeah. Uh, not, go good. Away, not good but uh, i'm not fussed because yeah. I, I i i work from home uh -huh. i could go and work in a starbucks though because now my role is entirely home-based and oh. out of clients so i could go work in a starbucks because i don't have a an office in glasgow where they expect me to go there because if i went and worked in a starbucks and we had an office in glasgow they'd be like yeah call what are you doing yeah. Um, yeah yeah that's fair so i can definitely see the benefits particularly for business owners or remote workers because as long as you create a good environment would you ever have like a a zoom call in there with a client or somebody like that I have are you comfortable had, with that i have i wouldn't do it mostly because of the noise from the music to be honest um okay. i have done it though and, and if i was have an in-person meeting i'd typically go to start yeah with. I, I just connect my my earpods to my laptop and 
they've kind of filters out the noise. I just always make sure like I'm sitting like in the corner, like against yeah. the wall, so it's not yeah. really confidentiality wise. You're yeah, okay yeah, well. yeah, yeah. I've done a couple of them, and, but it's still it's not ideal. I'd much prefer to be in, in my office or in, yeah. I, I mean, I suppose it depends what the calls on. If it's a client and it's a setup and a, of a new client, probably wouldn't want to do it in a public space as much as it wouldn't really matter. They're not going to know who it is, but yeah, um, yeah, it, it depends if you're talking but about finances, deep, things. But like for that. your deep written work, your deep creation yeah. work, Starbucks. Starbucks ticks the box really well for me. Okay. Yeah, perfect. No, yeah, it does. I actually kind of, for me personally, I find if I've got distractions, it, it kind of focuses me like a, a, a lot more. Like like the things I used to focus, which is like the same song on repeat over and over again, they go to another level and I just like really get locked in. So even though there's all this stuff going on around me, yeah. uh, people clearing tables, just general hustle and bustle, I just get absolutely locked in. Yeah. yeah. No, like I think for, for me, I suppose, is a weird one. It's almost a sense of accountability because if I'm in the house, quite happily sitting and put netflix on uh, yeah, yeah, yeah i'm not going to sit in starbucks with my feet up watching like a netflix video um so for me it's almost like public accountability to is, extent. Uh, yeah people, you're right people know that i'm in there working yeah um, so there's yeah. a lot about that as well for mm. me so if you were just watching youtube in there you'd be like shame ashamed of yourself yeah, yeah. i would be uh, i have done that but yeah i'd be ashamed okay i'd go home and go home. my pillow <laughs> number eight a financial one credit cards are they overrated or underrated underrated, underrated. massively people don't use them properly yeah, myself so. included but by the way i'm not like that's not a superiority thing like i used them terribly before i read i think i sent both of you yeah. the book didn't i yeah. i will teach you to be rich by ramit sethi and when he when i read that book and i realized like the power of credit cards and how you can use them to your advantage and leverage them to get so much um uh, kind of benefits basically yeah. um like for example i got the the abex the british airways uh, amex card yeah and uh we used it for all our household things generally not, nothing huge like because we couldn't go anywhere at the time so like a couple a couple of weekends away would be the bigger purchases like say a hotel or something or flights but um generally just the weekly shop and all, and, and then within a year we had we've now got free flights to new york yeah and that's that's money by the way that's money that we were already spending it's not as if we went out our way to spend yeah extravagantly it was previously gonna be spent was, in a debit card exactly you just yeah put it on credit, credit card, card pay it off at the end of every month you do that you accumulate points i mean we were actually we were in dubai going out for dinner and i got an email saying congratulations mr burns you have free flights and that's like no effort to magnify that point this guy i was talking about that i've started to get mentorship off of literally uses credit cards to run his business to an extent he does a lot he puts all his paid advertisement on credit cards he has 800 free flights to new york 800 he can't he literally cannot use them um his business is worth a, a like substantial sum but he puts all his marketing spend on credit cards and then just pays it off and benefits from the points from that and when he told me that he's like he's literally like do you want a flight like anytime you're going to new york not as if i go to new york a lot um i have flights you know you can use them you can use my points blah 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 and i was just like wow and he he really like Chris, that book actually like hit home the points of like why you should be using them or how to use them properly and then the other day when I was speaking to him and he said that, I was like, this is a guy making, you know, crazy money um, that uses credit cards for everything in life to actually, you know, reap the reap the rewards from them. Now, a lot of the things that people think about credit cards are that they're high risk, mm -hmm. that they're a potential way to get into debt. And yeah. that's actually yeah. true. Yeah. Absolutely. But the way that we're speaking about them is for making purchases that you can afford within your limits already, but you're just either you can buy yourself a little bit of time because obviously it yeah. pays off at the end of the month, but you were going to be able to have the capital to make that payment for the weekly shop, mm -hmm. for the yeah. things that you were buying on your marketing spend for your business. All these things were going to be spent anyway. You're just using the credit cards and the different benefits that are part of that to do so because otherwise you are just paying interest on 
it's the worst kind of debt you can yeah. get isn't oh, 100%. and so many people are like they have such a bad relationship with credit and like we have this kind of like credit generation where people are like oh well i put that on klarna like i'm absolutely horrified that klarna is a thing but i guess maybe i'm coming from a privileged position where i've mm-hmm. not had to spread payments out but i'm worried that sometimes people think credit cards are like the devil and it's but, free but because it's free money david yeah. because they treat it like free money and they're like oh i bought these shoes on credit and you're like don't, don't yeah, why yeah. did you Buy do that shoes, whereas yeah. whereas if you had the mx card with the british express yeah. uh, british uh, um, airways or uh, a number Cash so many so many other yeah. so many other yeah. benefits and yeah. options aren't there yeah. you can benefit massively and if, especially if it's money you're going to spend anyway yeah well, I think that's the point. Cause I, like, I, I'll be honest, I've seen both sides of this because when, when my business was not doing well, I had to rely on credit cards, so I was carrying a balance. So I've seen both sides of this, having a poor kind of psychology towards that. Uh, even though I wasn't going out and living up and buying fucking six hundred pound Balenciaga trainers, but like I was still relying on overrated, that. Overrated, <laughs> overrated, very much. So you look <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but so I've seen both sides, and then but generally reading that book totally transformed how I viewed. Yeah. Um, uh, using credit to your advantage so i do understand like if you're in that position where perhaps you do have to rely on it or perhaps you're relying on it too much like you get your credit card through and you see that you've got like a five grand limit and you think i've got five grand to spend like no you do not you've got whatever money you have coming in on a monthly basis to spend and even if it is like a small amount you can still leverage credit cards to get huge huge benefits and improve your credit rating you know i have this on here because david actually sent me a voice note before he had this conversation with his kind of new mentor Uh and he was super excited he was like what what credit card to use what benefits you get i've spoken to and i was like you need to speak to chris as well because we've all read the same book yeah yeah yeah. and david was like when i read that section of the book i did it passively yeah but now i'm rereading it and i'm like right i need to take advantage of this because david spends money on starbucks for example if you were using an amx in there you would have got quite a lot of benefits a thousand percent and i think again that guy actually recommended a different credit card so it's good getting people's opinions on things but i'm similar to you in the sense of i've never had to use credit card out of necessity Mm. so i've thought i don't need a credit card i can afford to buy these things that i want which is great obviously but now i'm actually seeing the benefits of using them when you don't necessarily need to use them but you're using them for the benefits um, rather than out of necessity which i think is what most people should look to use them for look them to look to use them as you know a way to get these benefits rather than i suppose some people generally do need them as well which is a little bit of a different yeah um, stance i think it's just like the general kind of view or like narrative around credit card is you automatically associate it like you say with debt like yeah. that's what we're kind of taught like growing up and like a lot of like um like our kind of our parents and grandparents came from that generation of like debt is a terrible thing like the only debt you should have is a mortgage like mm-hmm. like that's they don't even view that as debt they view that as an investment to pass down to the younger generation yeah. of family so like if you get a credit card people automatically assume you must be struggling because you've not got enough money to pay for mm-hmm. your life so you need to do that so it's like kind of yeah. flipping the script on that a little bit and again i think that book i will teach you to be rich great book. uh ramit sethi and follow him on instagram and check out his, his um his blog and his mail list everything basically because he's, he, he talks all, he's a real deal he is. Yeah, yeah he talks yeah. a lot about the psychology of money which i think is, is is the main point here isn't it like how you view the credit cards either to your advantage or are they just going to yeah. be like a vice for a lot of people yeah i think we've, i think we've summarized credit cards yeah, nicely there. And, um one of my recent guests laura the thrifty londoner spoke about credit cards and again it came from that mindset switch where her parents were like credit cards are risky what are you doing and she was yeah. like well actually i've I found ones that've got benefits so yeah lots of things for people to go away and research there number nine is uh is another food stuff it's avocado i think it's overrated but i really do like it it's overrated and it's revolting it's overrated and i'm just not fussed for it it's just too expensive as well 
they, they are expensive. You need to put you need your credit card for that because <laughs> get free flights to New York buying yourself avocados. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely like the taste of it, and there is there's a lot of health benefits from you know the fact that it has got really good healthy fats in it. But I also think there's a lot of there's a misconception around the fact that it's healthy, meaning the fact that it's going to be good for people dieting, which isn't the case because it's the easiest way to add a boatload of calories for something that doesn't fill you up at all, which is the same for a lot of very high fat foods, olive oil, nuts, seeds, high fat meats. Avocados falls into that category. Yes, it's health. It's a health food, but it's not necessarily, in fact, I think it's a terrible dieting food for most people. It's, it's great marketing though, doesn't it? Because oh, it looks great. Yeah. Instagram's great, doesn't yeah. it? Like also That's pretty much on right. toast. Smashed avocado, smashed avocado with avocado. eggs, yeah. yeah. Like Jill loves it. Like she's mad for it. But like but I don't know. I, I've tried. No one I've, loves it that much because it doesn't taste uh, that much. I've tried <laughs> I do like so it, many but... different ways because it, it annoys me when I don't like a food. Yeah. Like it winds me up. So like I try it so many. Like mm. same with mushrooms. Like I've tried them every way. All of, I don't. I quite like all of. No, I'm not fan. But like it really annoys me when I don't like a food because it means I can't order something on the menu. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. gets to me. So like I've tried it with like bacon. Also, I just I'm just not into it at all, man. I'm just not into one, it. Yeah. Yeah, easy, 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 easy enough. Yep. Number 10, fitness trackers. So that would be like your Apple watches. I'm going to include things like the Aura rings and stuff like that within this as well. Um, but most specifically like the kind of watches that track like mm. calories burnt, step count, all that kind of stuff, heart rate. I'm going to say underrated for from a step perspective, but overrated from a calories calorie, calorie spend perspective. Like they don't accurately track how many calories you um are burning and also they confuse people if they're linked to things like my fitness bill if your cali if your my fitness bill or any of your food tracking apps are linked to your fitness apps just unconnect it right now um so yeah i think steps is great it's a great measure to have as a general rule of thumb looking at your overall expenditure i think monitoring your daily steps slash general movement is a great thing to do i think more people should do it and should use it for that but i would say stay clear of looking at the calories you burn because they're not accurate mm. Yeah, I would like that. I totally agree with David, and I would also like if you extend it to things like Aura Ring, Whip, this all these technologies. Uh, in my opinion, they are massively overrated. Um, I think when you, I think you can outsource certain things about your health and fitness to technology, but I think we're just not at the place where we can measure recovery actively Steve. through a ring yeah. or a strap. Yeah. You know, it's just not there yet. Uh, and like looking into the kind of um, people that are kind of at the top of the kind of performance coaching game the general consensus of these things is they're useless that's you don't see widespread application of them in like top sports teams and things like you'll see the occasional athlete do it mm -hmm. probably because they're sponsored by them but in my opinion i just don't think like when it comes to like recovery you know if you're looking at screen yeah. saying like oh my whoop app says that i'm recovered so this means i can go and do another hard workout but you feel like absolute You've arse. Got a hamstring. You, you know, know it's like or well, the opposite as well, yeah. where it's telling you, oh, you're so fatigued, and you're like, I'm I feel, like, I feel good I think to go. From a sleep standpoint, that been so important. Like people have come into me, clients, and said, ah, oh, my Fitbit said I had three hours sleep last night. I'm like, how do you feel? I did feel all right before I looked at that. And it's like, uh, that's self-fulfilling like, prophecy. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think I, I just think like you know, if you're reliant, and again, you become reliant on that, don't you? And that dictates, and then so rather than going and getting a workout, and you're letting an app tell you that you shouldn't do it and then you'd be much better off going and doing that workout if you, if, if you feel okay yes. but by the same token if you if, if you're absolutely burst and you're dragging your ass to the gym because your whip mm -hmm. tells you like oh good to go you're green or you've got a score of whatever mm -hmm. uh, yeah not not for me yeah, yeah I, th I think they're overrated definitely for steps i use my phone still yeah do you um, yeah, I use my yeah. Phone. yeah i use my yeah. phone yeah and mm -hmm. 
they're all imperfectly inaccurate. <laughs> David's just been this fitness watch. <laughs> <laughs> Apple, you can sponsor if you want them to do it again. So the, the, the thing for me is I, I use, I think they're all inaccurate because I've walked with somebody before and we've walked the same amount and mm. my steps have shown different than my phone to the show. I was taller than them actually, so <laughs> thank you very Who much. You taller than <laughs> Was it Dale? <laughs> He's going to be so angry if he hears that. <laughs> I'm five foot ten, by the way, so it's fine. <laughs> He's five foot six. <laughs> we only had to edit one bit out of the last podcast, but no, I'm leaving that in. That in. I'm leaving yeah. that in. Sorry, Dale. So, um, yeah, I think they're overrated because I think you can get the data from a lot of other places. And equally, some data is really important, like how many calories am I eating today? But how many calories am I burning based on this watch is, mm -hmm. oh, it's just nonsense. You yeah. see people post like 600 calorie leg sessions. And yeah. I'm like, you have no idea what you'd have to do to burn 600 calories mm -hmm. training. Like mm -hmm. a really high volume workout is like two, 300 calories for like a decent sized individual moving decent sized weight. Is it? I think so. I don't know on that one. Do you think I'd it's say, higher? I'd, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd like, like my a weight watch. session. I suppose I'm I'm thinking of like yeah my watches have recorded a thousand calorie. You're saying that's over. I think that's right, over okay. it. I th I believe that to be highly overestimated. Mm -hmm. I, th I, um, I agree. I, I think so. I think if you were to like actually measure that, like saying like a lab set yeah, or something like yeah. that, I think you'd find it was really yeah. really kind of hundred yeah. two hundred calories for like a weight session, and yeah. people would be like, and they'd be, again like the problem is people then go eat that back, don't they? If yeah. yeah. People like, oh, I've got six hundred calories that's to the play big with. Fear and David addressed it straight away. He was like, yeah. just do not link it at all with mm -hmm. your MyFitnessPal because it will tell you to eat back that. So after yeah. a workout, you're like an extra 300 calories because you had a really hard leg session and yeah. you're still in a deficit. You're probably not. It's, yeah. it's starting to endanger that. Mm. Okay. 